latest installment of the SUS News podcast series where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your program host, Patrick Egan, and uh, as we always do, I'd like to welcome our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hello, Gene. How are you, Mr. Patrick? I am doing well. Thank you very much, and it's uh, good to be back in the saddle, so to speak. Yeah, we've been on a little bit of a hiatus, but things are busy. Lots of stuff going on. Um, we just got through with the uh, the Small Unmanned Systems Business Expo, which you were a part of. Uh, had a T's to cross and I's to dot to put that all uh, away for another year. Um, I know you've been pretty busy. What, what have you been up to? Well, you know, the, the travel schedule for the old Texan has been pretty brutal here over the month of May and, and continues on into June. We've made our pivot over into doing a, a lot of training, and there are a lot of public safety agencies out there that are really, really hungry for some good, actionable information that they can operate on, and the reception has been phenomenal. I've got to tell you, Patrick, it's, uh, it, it's a little bit of a shame that uh, we've got as many people out there that are telling people what they think a first responder might need, and uh, it's so many times it's in error. But we're trying to correct that one agency at a time and one podcast at a time. Hopefully we'll get that information out. Well, you're the you're the right guy for the job. I, I, I tell people that all the time. They say, oh, do you know any experts? I say, yeah, I know one. His name's Gene Robinson. He's been out in the field doing this for over 10 years, and if you want the uh, the straight scoop, Mr. Robinson's the guy to talk to. Well, yeah, we'll I have to. Uh, well, it's it's. I only say that because it's true. You know me, you know snake oil. Um, and we'll have to talk more about that in the future. But uh, and, you know, I would like to uh, bring on our guest today. Our guests are Dr. Jamie Jacob. Hey, are you Hello, there? How are you doing? Good, yep. good. And uh, State Oklahoma State Science Secretary Dr. Kelvin Drogemeyer. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Now, I wanted to have you, you two uh, gentlemen on. Um, you know, we, uh, we've, we've talked to folks from Oklahoma before, and we know that there's a lot of stuff going on out there. And uh, so I wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit this morning. And uh, possibly, uh, Dr. Jacob, maybe you could go first. Please give us a little bio about yourself and how you got involved with unmanned aircraft systems. Sure, yeah. And my, uh, my history with the unmanned aircraft goes back about 20 years. We originally got involved as part of a, a NASA project uh, around the late 1990s, uh, really to, to develop technologies to uh, fly autonomous aircraft on Mars. And, of course, uh, you know, that, that idea was a little bit ahead of its time, but you know, ever since then we've been working in different areas of unmanned aircraft systems, you know, helping kind of push that technology forward. Uh, most of our work in the past has been primarily on the uh, the defense side, uh, developing fixed-wing uh, aircraft and, and systems for uh, various aspects of DOD. Uh, but you know, recently we've transitioned a lot into commercial and civilian applications as well. Yeah. yeah. Now, and that, that NASA project was that the uh, that folding fixed-wing aircraft that. Uh I'm trying to think who won. That was a good competition. I'm trying to think who won that. Did, yeah, yeah. So there were actually a couple of um, yeah, there are a couple of entities within NASA. You know, there was a group at Ames and a group at uh, Langley that were really competing with each other. And uh, our effort was primarily a, a supporting role. And this is when I was at the uh, University of Kentucky, looking at technology development as 
part of a workforce development effort. And our focus is actually on uh, developing inflatable systems. You know, way, the, the problem that you have with unmanned aircraft, you know, flying on other planets, and the real focus right now is not Mars, but Titan, which opens up a lot of really neat opportunities for flying uh, essentially indefinitely, is packaging, you know, that small um, uh, volume that you have uh, for your reentry system uh, for that large wingspan aircraft. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we'll have to uh, keep our eye on that. I see, you know, every once in a while you see pictures of, uh, of, of let's say, unmanned aircraft that people want to use on different planets, Mars and whatnot, and the propellers look a little small for the Mars <laughs> atmosphere, <laughs> ones that I see. But, hey, you know, what do I know? I haven't been there. I'll have to visit. Anyway, well, let's move along. Uh, Secretary Drogemeyer, uh, could you please give us a little bio about yourself and how you got involved in unmanned aircraft systems? Absolutely. Good morning. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, I'm a meteorologist, so over my career, uh, primarily my uh, work has involved using atmospheric data uh, and assimilating them into numerical models to understand the physics of thunderstorms, and especially to do prediction uh, using computer models of very fine-scale, high-impact weather-like thunderstorms and tornadoes. Uh, so observation is very, very important, and one of the challenges with observations, uh, typically the conventional ones, is that they exist at fixed locations, and the weather, of course, doesn't care where the observing system is. It happens wherever it wants to happen, and so a lot of times uh, the idea is, well, we need to bring the observing system to the uh, to the weather event, uh, maybe even before it happens. Uh, maybe our forecast models are telling us where something's going to happen, and to really uh, get a refinement of the forecast, we want to we want to have adaptive observations that uh, adapt to the weather itself. And we sort of start doing that with mobile radars and, and in some sense, balloons. But uh, drones really afford an unprecedented opportunity to uh, really bring a tremendous uh, in situ observing capability to the thunderstorm environment, the pre-storm environment, and so on. So um, I've never actually uh, personally used drones in my research. I've really mostly been in administration uh, the last several years and uh, trying to uh, create capabilities uh, for researchers like Dr. Jacob and others to uh, develop the capabilities we need for drones. And uh, one of the things that we're working on now that I think is extremely exciting is uh, using uh, uh, autonomous vehicles to vertically profile the lowest, oh, say, five, 6,000 feet of the atmosphere. Uh, which is the most unobserved part of, of planet Earth, really, apart from the oceans. It's, uh, as far as weather forecasting goes, it's where most of the energy resides in the atmosphere. It's where all the bad stuff tends to happen. But it's where we really don't observe very well. And drones really offer us a tremendous opportunity to uh, either in an adaptive sense or in regular intervals at fixed locations uh, sample this part of the atmosphere with amazing uh, fidelity and, and that spatial resolution and temporal resolution. So that could really be quite transformative to both our understanding of the atmosphere and our ability to uh, predict it. Well, yeah, and that, you know, it's, it's interesting you touched on a few things because uh, we've had other people talk about weather before. And, I, you know, I don't know if people really know how that all works, but like you just said, you know, the, the energy that, that makes weather happen and where it happens. And uh, I do see a lot of promise well in manned aircraft systems, too, because, you know, uh, trying to fly manned systems in uh, thunderstorms, tornadoes, other, uh, let's say, weather events, it's probably not very safe, you know. So uh, we, they right. do afford us an opportunity to get that data that uh, we haven't been able to get safely. Uh, very, very interesting. I want to talk more about that. But uh, I was wondering, okay, so I know some uh, some some folks from Oklahoma, probably some people that you know. But uh, it's been a while since I've gotten an update. And I was really kind of uh, wondering if, if maybe you could uh, – 
uh, enlighten us and tell us what kind of new developments and work is coming out of Oklahoma. And maybe uh, Dr. Jacob, you'd, you'd take that one. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, happy to kind of uh, fill in. And you know, so uh, you know, one of the interesting things I think um, you know that uh, Oklahoma has really done in, in the past is bring together all of its stakeholders across the state. I mean, we're, we're a pretty small state, so it, it really it's a great opportunity for us to be able to all sit at the same table and work together and utilize all the strengths that we have from the different players, including the major universities as well as the government institutions and the private industries that we have uh, across the state. And I think some of the things that um, you know have really been interesting in, in those areas you know, include things such as infrastructure inspection, uh, unmanned traffic management, uh, as well as other you know areas such as oil and gas inspection. Uh, probably maybe uh, talking about the latter one first, we've been working with uh, the General Electric Oil and Gas Technology Center in Oklahoma City. It's really only been here uh, less than two years, uh, but we've been working closely with them to help develop uh, autonomous systems for uh, methane inspection, uh, primarily looking at oil pads and pipelines uh, and developing those systems uh, to really help the oil and gas industry um, you know, shore up where their production and their distribution um, problems may may arise uh, from uh, you know from from leaks and other issues. So that's been one thing that we've been really focused on because that ties in uh, to the strengths that we have in the state with between aerospace and our oil and gas industry. Interesting. Yeah. Well, the methane sniffer uh, concept is is something I you know I want I was I mentioned NASA earlier and I was working with some people from uh, actually I think they were out at Goddard but uh, they had they had uh, they were doing testing with a, a sniffer the one that's on the Mars rover really lightweight and impressive uh, technology that could easily be adapted to unmanned systems here on on Earth <laughs> like to kind of cross pollinate with that technology. Um, well, you know I know you guys are off. To the Paris Air Show, um, and uh, I know the answer to this one because I've been several times. But uh, maybe Secretary uh, Drogemeyer, you could, from a government perspective, tell us why Oklahoma is is sending a delegation to the Paris Air Show, and and what you hope to achieve there. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's a great question. Uh, you know, the Paris Air Show is a singular event, really, uh, uh, where basically it's the it's the aerospace, the who's who of aerospace, uh, go to Paris uh, once a year and have this this massive air show. Uh, if you hear about sometimes the Thunderbirds, and and that's an air show, it's a completely different concept. Of course, it's really focused on on technology and uh, the new new uh, activities in aerospace and so on and so forth. But it's what, what, what's especially important for us is that uh, all the major players around the world, it's a global activity, of course, uh, go to Paris. And we're talking CEOs now. We're not talking, you know, mid-level managers or vice presidents. The CEOs of, you know, Boeing, Rockwell, uh, Northrop, uh, you know, Raytheon, uh, Lockheed Martin, uh, you know, just all the way up and down the line, uh, you know, dozens and dozens of hundreds of companies are there. And so it gives us an opportunity at the very highest executive levels of government, uh, at the governor level, uh, meeting with the CEOs of these companies. Because, of course, in Oklahoma, aerospace is, is a massive industry. Uh, we have over 500 uh, organizations that include Boeing and American Airlines and, and many, many others. They employ over 120,000 people in Oklahoma. So it's a big part of our economy. And we're always looking to uh, 
to, to uh, you know, attract companies and expand what we already have. And, in fact, there are some announcements be coming out recently about specific companies uh, coming to Oklahoma, expanding their operations uh, out of conversations that happened directly uh, at the Paris Air Show. So it's really an opportunity for us to talk about Oklahoma, the the, uh, the value proposition of locating here, the tremendous strength of our research universities, which is sort of a new approach that we're taking this year to add to our portfolio of, uh, of capabilities, all the assets we have in Oklahoma and the workforce and so on, but, but also the universities. You know, a lot of these companies want to be close to uh, research universities in terms of the workforce they produce in terms of graduates, but also facilities, research programs, new ideas that are happening which might uh, turn into profitable, uh, profitable uh, business ventures a uh, uh, short time down the road. So it's really historically proven to be very, very effective uh, for Oklahoma to go to the Paris Air Show, and, uh, and the governor is very strongly uh, involved. Uh, part of her Oklahoma Works program is, is, of course, tied into building jobs in Oklahoma, and aerospace is, a, is really a key area for our state, not only in terms of our strength, but also in terms of growth. Absolutely. And, and you know, the other thing I, I've noticed, too, is uh, some of the other countries, and, and one example would be the uh, Israelis set up a pavilion, a lot of government ministers, uh, elected officials, whatever else come through there. Um, I, are you doing any, let's say, uh, cross-pollinization or working with, with other governments uh, from other states, because I know other states go, but uh, also other countries and regions around the world? Yeah, no, that's a great question. In fact, we do have meetings set up with, with folks from other governments, other nations. Uh, uh, Senator Inhofe will be there. Of course, he himself is a pilot and is intensely right. interested in, in aviation, so he will be there uh, the first couple of days, and he'll be joining a breakfast and coming to the Oklahoma booth. And, and he also uh, you know, meets with lots and lots of companies and, and governments and so on. They look at all kinds of issues, you know, regulatory issues. They look at the business climate. They look at incentives uh, and so on. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very good point. It's not just meeting with companies, but it's meeting with government representatives uh, uh, like, like ourselves that are going on behalf of Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I knew the answer to that question, but, I, you know, folks that uh, <laughs> haven't been to the Paris air show, you know, like you said, they go, Oh, well, I go to an air show and uh, Paris air show is something that's totally different to uh, anybody and everybody commercial space, uh, you know, the rocketry unmanned vehicles of all sorts and whatnots. Uh, commercial aircraft, military aircraft. I mean, if it if it flies or is high tech, it's at the Paris Air Show, and it's it's something to see all in one place. Um, and I and, and I've actually been to the Oklahoma booth on uh, every occasion that I've been to the Paris Air Show, and uh, you know, nice folks, and uh, you know, that kind of leads me into the next one. You know, I'm a big fan of Governor Phelan. She is uh, very supportive of emerging tech, and you know I'm out here in California. I'd trade you a Brown and a Newsom for a Fallon any day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't ever. <laughs> I know, I know. You can't ever. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but uh, you know we can always wish. But uh, right. you know, you you mentioned a few things, and and you know I, I've I've talked to people about this before, and you know say, well, well, you know I'm going to come to a region, and there may be some tax incentives or. You know, they'll have one or two things. And I say, well, you know, that's that's really not enough 
to, to entice someone, to bring someone or a company, have them move. But, you, you know, you had uh, ran over a few things that you had and you said, well, you know, we have some incentives. We have a government. This is kind of what I'm getting out of it. That's that's friendly to tech. We have universities where we have, let's say, the up and coming, uh, you know, raw material, which would be people. Um, and, and it sounds like a progressive uh, attitude. I mean, what, what are what are some of the other, let's say, uh, things that would would want to bring me there, and the opportunities that exist in Oklahoma? Well, uh, you know, we have uh, obviously at at universities facilities. So if you're a, a say a medium sized business and you can't afford to have a lot of facilities to do fabrication or testing or whatever, uh, you know, universities can work with private companies. Private companies can come in and actually use our facilities, do joint projects. Uh, We are in Oklahoma designing uh, something called the National Environmental Simulation and Test Facility. It would be a monstrous facility that would actually recreate uh, realistic weather, all sorts of weather conditions uh, at scale in a replicable manner. So things like Two, one, two, and three-dimensional winds, uh, airborne debris, lightning, hail, rain, snow, uh, all those kinds of things simultaneously, uh, extreme cold, uh, high-altitude uh, pressure chambers, things like that, so that uh, whether you're developing, uh, you know, different aerospace uh, products, you're developing, you know, vehicles, whatever, uh, and they're going to be exposed to weather, they're going to have to fly in weather, this facility will absolutely uh, allow uh, you to do testing there. In fact, in recent uh, conference AUVSI I went to, I asked various uh, vendors, I said, so what are the you know, restrictions of conditions that you can fly in? You know, can you fly in gusty winds and stuff? For the most part, the answer was either no or they hadn't really given much attention to that. So you, know, you can't just uh, deliver packages or fly drones on a clear day. You've got to design the vehicle to be, uh, to be resilient to all of these kinds of things, and, and there isn't much of that uh, out there. So that's that's one of the value propositions, I think, for, for Oklahoma in particular, that we develop this as a national uh, facility. And there are many other uh, assets that we have in the state, uh, corridors of flight that are very uh, important. And Dr. Uh, Jacob has a test range uh, at, at Oklahoma State University. There are other ones across the state. And so really it's a place where business ca- businesses can come and, and have access to intellectual talent, physical facilities, and also a, a good business climate and a governor who has this as one of her top agenda points, uh, growing business in the aerospace and the unmanned systems sector. Yeah, and, you know, that's a sub-point that I want to hit on because, cause, you know, that all sounds good. And I do want to talk about the weather thing, and I'm going to let Gene chime in on that too because, you know, like I said, Gene's out in the field all the time. But I did want to talk about that. So you're seeing a lot of uh, – in, in a lot of states and municipalities, you're starting to see, let's say, I want to call it local municipality uh, creating – laws and regulations that are that are hindering uh let's say the furtherance of unmanned aircraft systems and when and what i'm seeing in oklahoma is stuff comes up and gets knocked down so it's a a pretty friendly let's say regulatory environment at the state level is that fair to say well you know i would say at this point uh and and jamie can chime in here I, i think there's you know it's a lot of shifting sand or a lot of dust up in the air that hasn't yet settled i think the faa of course is in the throes of of deciding how the, the the policies ought to work because uh, you know the controlling manned aircraft, which the FAA has done since its inception, versus this this new thing where technology has now really gotten out way ahead of our ability as a society to use it, which happened with with Facebook, it happened with uh, with nuclear fission. I mean, a lot of times we we do stuff and all of a sudden we're like, uh oh, <laughs> now how do we deal with this uh, as a society? So I think I think uh, you know we're still trying to figure all of that out. But I would say that that Oklahoma. 
uh, is taking a thoughtful approach. I think there are very legitimate issues of privacy and, and lots of other things that, that have to be dealt with. It's not an easy uh, problem, uh, and, and so we've got you know people working on that. The, the governor actually has an unmanned aerial systems council that I chair. Dr. Jacob is a member of that, and so we look at both the you know the, the technical and science issues and opportunities and business development, but also that requires us having a you know the appropriate regulatory climate. And the real question is, what's the the demarcation between federal jurisdiction and state and local jurisdiction? That that is all sort of up in the air right now. And so we're looking closely at that. And um, you know, it's it, it is going to have a big influence, I would say. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, uh, you, you have to. Uh, I know that, like you said, there is a lot of things up in the air, but uh, things are looking pretty good now. Now, I did want to go back, and I wanted to let Gene jump in here and talk a little bit as you know, our field guy, as far as the the weather thing is concerned. I, I know you could probably go on for a couple of hours about this, Gene, but uh, maybe a few uh, points uh, about weather, what you've learned. Yeah, you know, and one thing that uh, I'd, I'd like to say is that, gentlemen, I'll be traveling north of the Red River and about three weeks to visit with some public safety uh, agencies up there in Oklahoma because we know that you guys are right smack dab in the middle of Tornado Alley. If you haven't been paying attention to the news, that's where it happens, right there. And uh, totally get what you're doing there with the weather and and so on and so forth because as first responders, we understand we're going to be out there just as soon as that twister goes through there. We're doing damage assessments, risk assessments, and stuff like that. So I, I totally get what, where you're going with that and, and think it's a great idea because we, we always figure we're going to be flying in the worst possible conditions that anybody is going to encounter. So kudos on that one. Like to hear that that's, I'd love to hear more about that center that you're going to develop because that sounds like my kind of place. But yeah, we, we I think, think it's, it's going to be transformative, yeah. Uh, it's going to be incredible to be able to do that. Of course, I've worked with NIST, National Institute of Standards and Technology, for a while as well there, and I'm sure that they'll be very interested in what you're doing uh, with that center as well. But one of the things that I, I wanted to ask, I know that uh, Fort Sill has been kind of opened up a little bit, and there's been a lot of scenarios that have been run through Fort Sill. I know that uh, DHS contacted me years ago. I think it was well before the hurricane sandy came through but uh, they were opening up fort sill to do some of the the testing for beyond line of sight and for testing uh, unmanned aircraft capabilities in a given scenarios i know because i wrote some of the scenarios that they used uh, is, is that still going on or are you you trying to expand on that jamie you might want to take that one i know you were involved with some of that yeah, certainly. I'm happy to jump in. Yeah, so uh, DHS had an early program called RAPS, which was Robotic Aircraft yep. for Public Safety, and that was run there for yep. uh, a couple years. And you know, they're primarily running various scenarios, uh, looking at you know using uh, different uh, unmanned aircraft systems to evaluate their applicability for uh, primarily uh, border scenarios. You know, looking at uh, primarily protecting the border. Uh, and so, you know, that program went on until uh, last year. So the primary effort that we've been working on with Fort Sill, and we have a, uh, it's a, it's a private uh, facility. So it sits on a private land, you know, owned owned by uh, the state, uh, operated by OSU, but it sits within the restricted airspace of Fort Sill. Uh, and that uh, effort has primarily been focused on counter UAS systems. Uh, you know, this has been ah, okay. you know, a relatively new effort. 
you know, within DOD, you know, they, they've kind of switched their uh, concern from looking at, you know, larger, you know, group two, group three platforms. Now, well, how do we deal with the, the group one threat, uh, particularly with, uh, you know, non-state actors such as ISIS and uh, other terrorist groups? Uh, so our effort and involvement with them has been mostly on that scale, providing both assets for uh, red team tests. So, you know, we come in and provide those uh, that syst- those systems that you know, try to push the envelope, uh, test their, their countermeasures that they have, as well as testing and evaluating uh, blue team assets. Mm. Well, you know, uh, it's, it's uh, interesting that we talk about this, and I think we have to be realistic. I think we talked about, you know, we're hitting some of the points. Some people say to me, they go, oh, you know, you're a counter UAS guy. How could you be counter? You know, well, I, I mean, we have to be realistic. We have to be adult. And there's just some places that drones don't belong. And actually, me and Gene were talking about this yesterday. One of them would be prisons. Another location might be a nuclear power plant or, or some other facility or national security. Um, and <clears throat> so I think it's naive of, of people when they, they uh, let's say, bristle at the idea of counter UAS. I think it's, it's something that's just we're going to have to accept. Anyone else want to jump in on that? Well, I think the only thing I'd add to that, you know, it, it's all about uh, control and situational awareness. You know, as we move forward in the future, of course, there are going to be guys who want to, you know, utilize these uh, these assets that everyone's trying to do great things with and, and do bad stuff with them. Uh, but, you know, more importantly, as we move forward and, you know, start to really integrate uh, unmanned aircraft into the national airspace, is you know understanding how all the pieces work together, where we have both manned and unmanned aircraft working together in conflicted airspace, and you know that's one of the things that we're really focused on at the state level. Well, and I, and I would agree with that too. I mean, they have to, uh, we have to work together, and I think sometimes people, especially let's just say in the drone sphere, uh, lose sight of the reality that there is already, let's say, um, stakeholders using the NAS. And you're kind of the new kid on the block, and you've got to come in there and you've got to, let's say, integrate into an existing system with rules and regulation policy and and, and whatnot. So uh, sometimes that's lost on the community. We're trying to educate people here, too. But uh, all of that has to work hand in hand. I agree with that. So, you know, again, it sounds like there are a lot of things going on in Oklahoma. Is there, let's say, a website or a place where people could get more information about what's going on with unmanned aircraft systems in Oklahoma? Well, I'll just jump in real quick to talk about, uh, since Gene was mentioning coming up here in a couple of weeks, we're operating a, a large-scale field campaign for our National Science Foundation-sponsored project, which includes uh, both OSU and OU uh, team members, as well as University of Nebraska and University of Kentucky, we'll have about uh, 60 to 75 folks here operating anywhere from 20 to 25 systems over that last week of June uh, to test, you know, both sensors, systems, uh, logistics for you know using unmanned aircraft, uh, both uh, novel systems as well as you know caught systems coming you know straight off the shelf. Uh, for weather applications, you know, both for weather forecasting, for weather monitoring, uh, and things such as profiling, uh, like Kelvin mentioned earlier. And if you search uh, CloudMap UAS, you can find the website for that that provides all that information. Our goal is at the end of the project is to really be a clearinghouse, to be able to provide those meteorologists and atmospheric scientists at the end of the day, here's what you need to be doing, and, you know, to, to take these systems out in the real world and provide you some useful data. 
And that, and that cloud map project is is that uh, let's say work hand in hand with the weather simulator and and some of the other projects that were mentioned during the uh, the podcast. Well, I, I would say from a, a sort of a statewide perspective, uh, you know, there's there's sort of a couple of touch points I think that people could contact. Uh, one would be uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Vince Howie, uh, H-O-W-I-E. He's the director of aerospace and defense for the Department of Commerce, uh, the Oklahoma Department of Commerce. And then myself as Secretary of Science and Technology, and I work closely with Secretary of Commerce and other folks uh, uh, you know, to, to look at the statewide perspective in terms of is it, you know, is it, is it government, is it private sector, is it regulatory, is it military, whatever. We can vector folks to various places, and we're, we're actually in the process of, of developing a, a website for UAS activities in Oklahoma from a statewide perspective. We don't have it finished yet, but, but that is on the way. So if folks would want to contact either Vince Howie or myself, that would be the easiest thing to do right now. In addition to what Dr. Jacob just mentioned, yeah. Yeah, I think the other option there is, uh, is you know, reaching out to our state chapter of AUVSI, which is the Unmanned Systems Alliance of Oklahoma. Right. Uh, and, and we have a web page up for that that, you know, coordinates some of our state activities, you know, primarily at the industry level. Right. Well, that's good. It sounds like you guys are taking a real, like, you know, holistic, uh, you know, view of, of unmanned aircraft systems, every, you know, every aspect of it or facet of it, which is, uh, which is good. I, I like that. And a lot of information, I'm sure, even just try and capture and put on one website. Well, as always, you know, 30 minutes went rather quickly. It always does. So as soon as you get into these uh, shows, the, the conversation starts rolling and it goes. But I want to uh, thank you, gentlemen. I want to thank you, Secretary Drogemeyer. Thank you. Appreciate uh, it. For be- oh, yeah, it was great having you on. And Dr. Jacob, thank you. It was a pleasure. All right, it was very informative. I'm going to be uh, keeping my eye on Oklahoma. Best of luck at uh, Paris Air Show. I know you'll make some uh, interesting con- uh, contacts and have some good conversations. Till next time, everybody, um, you know, keep it right side up in the air. Have a good week. Yeah, have a good one. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.